Let's read from 2 Kings 4, 38 through 44. Please stand for the reading of God's word. When Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was a famine in the land. As the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Then one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, for they did not know what they were. So they poured it out for the men to eat. And as they were eating of the stew, they cried out and said, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot. And they were unable to eat. But he said, Now bring meal. He threw it into the pot and said, Pour it out for the people that they may eat. Then there was no harm in the pot. Now a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. His attendant said, What? Will I set this before a hundred men? But he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. God is kind in his provision for his people, isn't he? We see that certainly in these two stories. But maybe we are tempted to draw the wrong conclusion, which is that if there's ever times where it doesn't feel like there's enough, that somehow God is cursing us, or that he doesn't love us, or that his promises have failed. It's easy to read these stories of God's provision and to forget that they start with famine. A story doesn't make sense without there first being famine, does, does it? This last week during devotions, we read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And of course, this is a precursor to that, right? The feeding of the 100 you don't hear of very often. And the reason you don't hear about it very often is because the feeding of the 100, that's nothing. Did you hear about the feeding of the 5,000? It's, it's an argument from, from the lesser to the greater. When Jesus came and performed his miracles, he performed many miracles, many signs that had been performed before. And yet, some of the things that he did showed with great clarity how much greater he was than the prophets who had come before, who God had used to perform these miracles and such signs and wonders. 
So we were reading about the five feeding of the 5,000. And the people say in John 6.14, in response, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. That's their response when they receive all of that free food. And one of, the, one of our children asked, why would they say prophet? Why would they say, surely this is a pro- the prophet? It's a good question. Let's think for a second about a totally different topic, a totally different story. You kids remember Paul Revere? That's changing the topic, isn't it? You remember the poem? Who is it? Wordsworth? Longfellow, thank you. One if by land and two if by sea, right? One what? Can you kids tell me? One what? Yeah. One lantern. One lantern if by land, two lanterns if by sea. What by land? Can any of you kids tell me? Yeah? Invasion. The invasion, the the soldiers of the British army were coming They were to put the lantern up in the church steeple. If they were coming, marching around by land, they'd put one lantern up in the steeple. And if they were were not marching around, but they were instead just rowing across by sea, they were going to put two lanterns up in the church steeple. Now, Lanterns, in this case, are a sign, aren't they? They're a sign that something is happening. And they're an easily recognized sign and an easily remembered sign. So easily remembered that you put it in a poem and we all have it memorized today. One if by land, two if by sea. And the whole story comes back, right? There's not going to be two lanterns in the church steeple unless the British are coming by sea. This isn't something that accidentally happens. Oh no, somebody accidentally put two lanterns. Oh, there's three. There's five lanterns up in the church steeple. No, there's no lanterns up in the church steeple unless there's a sign, right? The moment you see it, you know they're coming. Feeding the 5,000 was a sign. It was a great sign. It was a clear sign. It's not going to happen accidentally. You don't have this, you don't have these like, oh, oops, well, no, that was, no, that was a feeding of a 5,000 that didn't actually signify anything. No, anytime there's a miraculous feeding of 5,000, 
You know something's up. Just like if you see the lanterns up in the church steeple, you know, oh yeah, something's up. It's a sign. What was it a sign of? We saw what it was a sign of if there were lanterns in the steeple. What is it a sign of when Jesus feeds the 5,000? Anybody have any idea? Anyone want to venture a guess? Yeah, go ahead. It's a sign of God's power. Yeah? It's a sign of God's power resting in. So we, Everybody knows God has power, right? But it's a, it's a sign that God's power is here in this man, Jesus Christ. It was a sign, the demonstration of God's power, proving that this man's words were true. Why were they true? Because they were God's words. So go back to Deuteronomy 18.18, which is long before our story here in 2 Kings with Elisha. And we read this, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So now let's go back. The question was, the people said, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And again, remember somebody asked, why would they say prophet? Well, this verse answers the question, right? I will raise up a prophet from among the countrymen. I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. They're expecting a prophet to come. But what they need is a sign that the prophet has arrived. And the feeding of the 5,000 is the sign that a prophet has arrived. And the reason is because you look back, and they, they looked back all the time. They remembered the Old Testament. They looked back, and they said, they said you know what, we, we've seen something like this before. There was another time where somebody fed miraculously. It was Elisha, the prophet. The prophet who was sent by God, who had the words of the Lord. Remember, he fed 100 men. And what did we know? We knew he was from the Lord. So what was, what was it a sign of? It was a sign declaring his words are true. His words are true. And so think back to our passage where Elisha 
says, give them to the people that they may eat. And his attendant says, what, will I set this before a hundred men? And it's exactly the same way that Jesus' apostles respond when he tells them, I'll go ahead and set, all the, t- set the tables. You know, well, we don't have any food. We've just got a couple of fish, a couple of loaves. You know, this, is, this isn't going to work. Am I supposed to set this before everybody? What does Elisha say? Give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. Now, is his, is his word true? God's word is true. When he says they shall eat and they shall have some left over, there's no question about it. The only question is, is Elisha truly a prophet of the Lord? When he says they shall eat and have some left over, the question is going to be put to the test right then, isn't it? If they put the food before the people and a couple of them eat enough and are full and the other 98 are hungry, Elisha is not a prophet of the Lord. And then what? Then they execute him. That's what the law requires that they do to false prophets. So now, what does it mean to be a prophet of the Lord? To speak his truth. To speak his words. And is it a fearful thing to speak his words? Well, would you want to speak that clearly if you were Elisha? Just let's try it. I think that's how I would be tempted to. Well, I mean, it's not a lot, but it is a famine and it's at least something. They can all have it a little bit anyway, maybe. Maybe it'll even be more. That way there's not your life on the line over it, right? To speak God's truth as a prophet always puts yourself in dependence upon God keeping his word. So if I, if I stand up here and my job is to proclaim God's word to you, I first have to believe that it's true or I will not proclaim it. And the reason I won't proclaim it isn't because I'm afraid you're going to kill me. The reason I won't proclaim it is because I don't want to look like an idiot. The reason I won't, I won't proclaim it unless I believe it to be true is because there's a lot of things that I know the world doesn't want to hear and even you won't want to hear unless God is at work in you. So now then I'm, I'm left in two ways having to trust God because I know that he has said that his word will not go out and come back without accomplishing what it was 
intended to accomplish. It won't go out and return empty. It won't go out and return void. So he says that to me. Why? To strengthen my faith, to proclaim to you the other thing that I'm afraid you don't want to hear because he won't be at work in you. Does that make sense? Okay, now forget about me. What about you? Do you want to hear the word of God? And when it's, they shall eat and have some left over, the answer is, yeah, I want to hear that. Maybe. Some of you even don't want to hear that because your faith is so weak that, that you, you view that promise as a slap in the face, a spit in the eye. Things aren't going well. It's the middle of a famine. How dare you say to me, they shall eat and have some left over? Of course, that's the point. It's the middle of a famine. The, the, the message isn't really good news unless it's the middle of a famine. And so here you've got two signs given. The first is, and I, I haven't even talked about it yet, the potluck. One of the, uh, the commentaries that I read titled this section, Beware of Church Suppers. Love that. Beware, beware the potluck. Because who knows what somebody might put in the pot. There's death in the pot. That's awful. And it's not just awful because you're like, ah, ah, I'm choking over the food. It's so awful. And maybe, you know, maybe they're, they're literally poisoned already. Or maybe it's just that if they keep eating it, that, that they can't keep eating it because it's so bad. And that if they were, then who knows what would happen and they'd die, right? There's death in the pot. Presumably all these gourds and, and, you know, people have gone and studied where they were and so on and so forth. And they've got idea, an idea of what, I never heard of the, that plant anyway, so I'm not going to tell you what it is. But yeah, they say, you know, you eat, a, you eat too much of it and yeah, you're going to die. And hey, it's a famine. So you understand a guy going, hey, these look, these look good enough to cut up. We can eat these. It's a famine. Isn't it funny how our perspective changes depending on how well things are going? So you, when, things, when, when you've got plenty, 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 right? How picky do you get? The more plenty you have, the pickier you get. Right? Well, I don't know. Was that wrapped in plastic? I, I think I'll pass. Are you hungry? Are you real hungry? What's in this? Oh, I don't know. Something I found in the field. Let's eat. You see the difference, right? Amazing how different it can be. And here, put on the large pot. And boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Probably a hundred men again, right? 
That's a big pot. And he fills up his whole robe with these, oh my goodness, look, at there's a whole vine of these gourds. Slicing them all up into the stew. And it's bad. It's bad. And, you know, again, unless you, unless you put yourself in that, unless you're really thinking about it, Unless you remember that this passage started with, when Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was a famine in the land. You don't really understand the story. It's not just, oh, there's, the soup is terrible or the soup is deadly. It's, we're going to have to throw out a meal for a hundred people in the middle of a famine. We put all the good stuff we had in there, and then this idiot ruined it with the bad stuff. And so now nobody gets to eat. It's not throw it all out and make a new stew. We don't have anything to make another stew for 100 people. It's a famine. The, the, the misery of this is half the idea of the loss of that meal. Not just that they can't eat and that they're getting sick from it. And what God does is He makes the food good. He makes the food good. How? He uses this strange man, Elisha, with his strange ways. And what does he say? Now bring meal. Now what is meal, kids? Do you know what meal is? Anybody? Have you ever had, have you ever had corn meal pancakes or corn meal uh, bread or corn meal muffins? What is meal? It is kind of like a powder. It is a powder. Meal is just flour, right? But, but when we say meal, typically we're talking about corn or something similar. It's, it's not quite like what we think of when we think of white flour. Let's just put it that way. You'd make bread out of it. It's not something magic. It's, it, I just want you to see. It's, it's, just, it's just that yellow stuff that you have when you make... Anything out of cornmeal, it's that. He says, put cornmeal in it. And then what? Threw it into the pot. And then he says, pour it out for the people that they may eat. Then there was no harm in the pot. Then there was no harm in the pot. Okay. I'm running out of time already. Okay, so 
Here's the thing. Remember I was just talking about how different it is if you're hungry versus if you've got plenty? I want you to I want you to look at this story and I want you to think about being the first one to take another bite of that soup. What does that take? It takes faith, doesn't it? You've got to believe that God's words are true, don't you? You saw that the soup was unedible. There's death in the pot. Elisha says, pour some, some meal in there, put some flour in there. Okay, now everybody pour it out again. Let's eat. Now, I guarantee you, there was a first person to take a bite. And I guarantee you there was a last person to take a bite. And I'll bet you anything that it had to do with how much faith they had. You know what I'm saying, right? How much faith do you have? Will you take action based on the declaration of God? Will you walk by faith? Are you willing to be one of the people that takes a bite even though you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was poison? God says, it's fine now, eat it. Even during famine, especially during famine, God is at work strengthening the faith of His people, giving us signs. Will you see the signs that He is at work? <clears throat> There's a lot of things that we can take away from this. One of them... One of them is food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. Just eat it and quit obsessing about it. Seriously. It's not going to defile you. But it might make me die sooner. This is true. It also might help you live another day. But it might make me less healthy. But it might make me more fat. But it might make me... Stop. Food is for the stomach. Stomach is for food. Just eat it by faith. You have to eat by faith. How can I get this from this passage? Because <clears throat> there's poison in the pot, yo. 
And somebody has to eat it first. Just eat and quit worrying about the food. Trust that God will use it to strengthen you to do His will. And He will. Be thankful for the food that you've been given and eat it. Remember, famines come and go, even for God's people. And yeah, when you've got plenty, you can choose to throw away the gourds. But when you're hungry, you'll remember, oh, God is the one who gave me food. I'm going to eat it. They shall eat and have some left over. That's our next story, of course, right? They shall eat and have some left over. How, how did that happen? That they ate and there was some left over? Is it because there were picky eaters? Oh, no. You know, half of them are like, ah, I'll eat at home. This isn't really my... No. There was some left over for the same reason that there was some left over when Jesus fed the 5,000 because the, the glorious plenty of the provision of God overwhelmed the needs. Think about that. How, how rich is God's abundant supply? How hungry are you? It's more more provision than that. More provision than all the hungry mouths in your house. How did it come about? One man. One man who was in the middle of a famine bringing his first fruits to the Lord. If you think about back, if you think back to uh, the commands of God back in Deuteronomy and in Exodus and so forth, <clears throat> you remember that always the people were to bring in the first fruits to the Lord, and they were to go to the priests, those who were serving the Lord by serving the people teaching, sacrificing, and so forth. This man is living in Israel where there is no true worship of the Lord anymore in the official places of worship. The priests were all corrupt, and priests of Baal, and yet this man loves God, doesn't he? And he wants to obey his command, and so what does he do? He says, you know, I'm not taking my I'm I'm not taking my first fruits to uh, to Bethel to the calf worshippers. Are you crazy? Elisha's nearby. Take it to Elisha. Is that obedience? No, he was supposed to take it to the priests, and they were supposed to. No. Was it obedience or not? 
It was obedience, wasn't it? Isn't it, and it isn't, isn't it a glorious obedience in the middle of a famine to bring, what was it? 20 loaves of barley. 20 loaves in the middle of a famine. 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And what does, what does Elisha say? Give it to the people. Of course. Of course. What else are you going to do? Oh yes. I'll take that and hide it in the back. Right? Give it to the sons of the prophets. But it's not enough, Lord. It's not enough. And isn't that what we say to God so often? Oh, but it's not enough. What's the point of me even bringing in the tithe when it's not enough? That's our temptation. Because it's not enough to make a difference, we might as well not bother. But God uses these gifts that are not enough to matter to provide for his people, doesn't he? God uses these gifts that aren't enough to matter all through the Bible to demonstrate his own power, thus glorifying himself, and at the same time teaching us that we can rely on him. God so often uses these gifts given in faith, the first fruits that are so desperately needed by us and aren't going to make an ounce of difference to everybody else anyway. What could, a, what could 20 loaves of barley do for me? A lot. What could 20 loaves of barley do for those hundred men? Nothing. Doesn't it make more sense for me just to keep it then? And plus, I can't even give it to the priests in the first place. I can't actually obey. So I guess the best thing, the most wise thing, the most faithful thing, really, if you think about it, is for me just to keep it. But what does he do? Oh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give it to God. Let God do with it what he pleases. How can I give it to God? Well, I can't give it to the priests of Bethel. But, but Elisha's nearby. I'll give it to Elisha. And what does God do with it? They shall eat and have some left over. That's what God says. And then they eat and they have some left over. This is God's provision. Through the worthless nothing gifts that you give, what does he do? He makes his name great by showing his power and his loving provision for his people. And so we see that we can rely on God. Now, as we come to the celebration of the Lord's Supper, isn't it appropriate for us to ask the question, 
what could I possibly get out of this meal? It's too small. It's too insignificant to really be anything. What I say to you is, you shall eat and have some left over. Why? Because this, this meal is not, the, it's, it's not about the physical amount that you ingest. It's not about whether it's going to be healthy for you or unhealthy for you. It's about what it represents. It's about what God has decided he's going to use that meal for. It's not just a physical meal. It is a spiritual meal. And what are we eating? The body and blood of Christ, right? Well, how could one man's death spread out over all these people really accomplish anything? I tell you, you will eat and have some left over. That's how much there is. How could there be some left over? What does that even mean? It means that all of your sins are washed away. Not a little bit of yours and a little bit of yours and a little bit of yours and a little bit of yours. One bite. That's all it takes. When we are, when we are putting our faith in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, the breaking of His body the shedding of his blood for our sins, what we're saying is, I believe his words. I believe his promises. I know it's true. I know it's true. All my sins will be washed away. Though they are like scarlet, I shall be whiter than snow. What more could we ask for in the midst of a famine? Than to eat this meal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what joy it gives us to see you work in this physical world, demonstrating your care even for our physical bodies. knowing that we can rely on you. <clears throat> Not, Father, to prevent us ever from facing trials, famines, difficulties of so many sorts. But rather, Father, the knowledge that you will never forget your people and that you will be there with us. And that you will bring us safely through. 
That your promise is not that we will not die in this life. We may, Father, even from hunger. But rather, that you will give us eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so it is in his name that we pray and it is for his glory. And it is trusting in his shed blood that we come to you now. Amen.